This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, conflict in Ukraine is getting more brutal every day. Ukrainian lawmaker Mikhailo Zarekov joins us with an update from inside the conflict, including how Ukrainians are dealing with the increasingly deadly strikes from Russia. We chat UFOs with Dave Scott. UFOs are making their way into Canadian politics. And Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott has some exciting UFO news that we had on the shift for you. And are you okay with weddings and pickles? Two unrelated stories. I feel like i got to declare that. It's all coming up here on the podcast for you. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with... It's a great time for my uh, connection to get uh, blown up there. Thanks, Internet. Are you okay with... I got to know. Are you okay with pickles? Pickles. Yeah. I don't like them on anything except Subway subs, but I like them on their own. Like, I love just eating a pickle out of a jar or... Uh, like Grumman's Deli in Calgary. They have the best pickles I've ever had in my life, and I'll just get it on the side of my sandwich, but never on the sandwich. My favorite. There's a couple of places for pickles that are amazing, by the way. If you ever get a uh, a McChicken with only cheese and only pickles, amazing. Mm-hmm. Quarter Pounder is also the same, only cheese, only pickles. And for when I barbecue here, my own burgers, a garlic dill, like, Oh, the cheese and the burger and the awesome. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm always like double up on the pickles. I was like Ryan, too, in college. I used to eat pickles right out of the jar. I used to just buy jars of pickles and eat them. I don't know mm-hmm. why I stopped. I don't know why I stopped. I, you know what? Maybe you should start again. Ah, I'm going to do groceries this weekend. I'm going to get a jar of pickles and just eat do it. Do it. I'll check back do in it. on Sunday. Let you guys know. Excellent. Let us know. All right. A teacher down in the States is in big trouble after she allegedly bit some students over a jar of pickles. Bit students. Okay. You have a one in 50 chance of getting it right of what state we're going to. Anybody? 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 I I bet you my mom Uh, lives in this state. We're going to Brendan's mom's home in Florida. What does it mean to be from Florida? Florida. Straight drip. Okay, parent Kathy Torso said she contacted 8 on your side news after months passed without any action taken against the biting teacher. Toro says her 15-year-old nephew was working at the school store at Bartow Middle School in October with another student. Teacher Rhonda Rice attempted to walk away with a jar of pickles. When she did that, Toro says, the students tried to get it back. She just plainly bit him. The students say Rice bit them both in the forearm hard enough to leave a mark. They went to the school administration who contacted Toro. I'm just still in shock over the whole thing, even though it was, you know, three or four or five months ago that it happened. I mean, but what teacher does that? The state's attorney's office has filed misdemeanor battery charges against Rice. This summons from the court shows an arraignment scheduled for later this month. Okay. Oh. Okay. Why was that her... Uh her instinct to do that sometimes he's got to bite a kid i guess (laughs) (laughs) don't have you read the books about how to be a parent and that's i'm not a dad and biting yeah i should know see that's ryan one day when you grow up and you're a dad you will understand the value of biting 
children. No, that doesn't work. No, not at all, actually. No, 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 we can't I even make can't. sarcasm no, about that. Just, <laughs> no, I can't even make jokes. Don't buy kids, just to be clear. Uh, don't buy kids. And there are no books that I'm aware of anyway that teach that biting children is a successful way to raise them and empower them for a beautiful life. All right. Teacher Rhonda Rice was suspended for three days, just three days, and relocated to Sleepy Hill Middle School. <laughs> Rice has been a teacher in the Polk County public system since the year 2000. There are four prior disciplinary actions in her personnel file. None of them have anything to do with assault or pickles. <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask the question, though. What do you, how do you like your pickle? 877-399-9898. How do you like your pickle? Do you like pickles? What do you put them on? How do you eat them? Uh, like dill pickle, like deep fried dill pickles. So good. Oh, very Amazing. good. Very good. Very, right? very light. You can even... Summer, like very summer at the P and E, you know. Yeah, right. And so that's like on a on a on a patio pub patio yeah. with a nice cold beer and some deep fried pickles. Like that's a beautiful thing. Um, you can even just take your pickle, you can roll it in some panko, put it in the air fryer, and there you go. You got a very similar cooked pickle. Um, so I'm saying, how do you like your pickles? This one comes in. Trucker Kevin nails it. Pickles with extra old cheddar cheese. Yeah, my mom used to make those sandwiches. Pickle and cheese sandwiches. It's kind of like a banana and peanut butter sandwich, but it's a pickle and cheese. It's very good. Hmm. You got to eat it right away, though, because a juicy pickle makes the bread soggy if you yeah, wait too long. Yeah, pickle juice bread doesn't sound too appetizing. You never know till you try it. That's true. Thank you very much for listening to The Shift. This is Are You Okay With? Let's just get started completely, like, just cold start, fire it up, BK. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Okay, so what's that from? That's Princess Bride. We just watched that for the AV oh, Club right. movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> marriage. Marriage is what brings us iconic. Oh, God. I didn't like that movie. Are you okay with marriage? Marriage. Weddings. What about big weddings? Like, are you okay with weddings? Now, um, Brendan hates people in general, but I am curious um, at DJ BK's thoughts about uh, um, the, um, the nuptials. Yeah. Well... For me, um, going to a friend's wedding was actually rare because friends always want me to DJ their wedding. Oh, don't do it. And it's so annoying because I'm like, I just want to go to your wedding. I don't want to DJ your wedding. And they're like, oh, you'll have fun. You can play whatever you want. That's exactly what I said to support you, just so you know, is that I would get asked, oh, hey, why don't you come to our wedding and DJ it? And I'd be like, I'll tell you what, I would love to attend your wedding, um, Mm -hmm. but I will not DJ it. Mm -hmm. And then I would offer, and besides, if you want to pay me exorbitant price, uh, then I will come and I will DJ it. Um, but, and then I always say that I will send a DJ to DJ it for you and then I will attend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I agree with you. I have a pretty bad, you tra- don't, don't do it. Yeah. I was just gonna say I have a pretty bad track record though, because, um, I DJed six of my friend's wedding and five of them oh, are now God. divorced. <laughs> oh, good. Maybe use that in your favor as part of the, yeah, I will. Right. Yeah. Next yeah. time. Mm-hmm. The curse. Oh, that's no good. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, yeah, don't do that. If you have a friend who's a DJ, do not ask them first to be your DJ. Invite them to come to your wedding and then say, we want you to be there. We are invited to attend. I know you're a DJ. If you would like to do that too, we're happy to have you, but invite them first. Don't use them for their uh, mixology skills. Ryan, marriage. Pro. I am pro marriage. Um, oh, good. I love weddings though. Like I have never had a bad experience at a wedding so far. I had like a couple when I was a kid that I don't even remember, but a couple, three of my friends have gotten married within the last five years and all of them have been absolute ragers. Whether I emcee it or I just get drunk in the background or I get drunk and emcee it, it's always a great time. It's just everybody's mm-hmm. happy. Everybody's like, oh, mm-hmm. love, love is in the air. It's wonderful. And then you just get drunk with your friends. I love it. Mm. I'm looking forward to the next wedding. Now, you are a, a, a 26-year-old, so 25. there's a little naivety there. At my age, there's the conversation is not, there's love, love in the air. It's like, it's like, oh, well, nice to see you again. I haven't seen you since the last wedding. I was going to say, too, like, have you ever DJed these things? It doesn't feel like there's love in the air at any point leading up to the wedding. Never. There's a lot of stress Stressful. in the air. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Nasty. It seems terrible to plan it, but then day of or group groom yeah, yeah groom's gonna be bad too. i always groom. found the bride or groom's parents were always the worst actually to deal with uh, yeah. when i was a dj not the actual yeah. couple they were usually fine it was usually the parents now i would like to just note that both of you haven't told us your personal stance on getting married just oh, noting that I, I i look forward to that occasion for myself Mm-hmm. I already have most of it planned out in my head. On, of course you uh, do. It's uh, <laughs> a very the best thing. idea. I know what shoes I'm going to wear. Of course, uh, you do. I, I know what shoes I'm going to wear, and uh, I have an idea of what the uh, <laughs> of what the bachelor party is too. I just want to go to the water park. I just want to go to a water park with my friends. That's it. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Oh yeah. man! Wow. Yeah. Um, there was a there was a stag out. Like Brendan's probably seen these too in the bars. That there's always a stag where some the 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 groom comes in duct taped to a dolly and they leave him in the middle of the dance floor for the whole night and feed him shots. I've oh, yeah. seen those at yeah. the wave parks where they wheel the they wheel the oh, groom God. into the into the pool and they just leave him there and they go have a good time. Yeah. So yeah, they better not do that, or at least yeah. let me ride a slide in a loop or something. <laughs> BK, marriage for you? Uh, I've always said that if I do end up getting married, it'll be like on a whim in Las Vegas. So, yeah. Oh, good. That's yeah. cool. I know people yeah. that have yeah. done that. Yeah, there's going to yeah. be no planning or anything. It's either right now or not going to happen. Hmm. I like it. Black t-shirts for everybody. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, could you handle two weddings in one day or how about this? Three. Three oh, weddings. That's a lot. In one day. That's a commitment, man. That sounds tiring. While a polygamist in the Congo had a very busy wedding ceremony, he married three women all at the same time. Kept it easy, though. Those three ladies also happened to be triplets. Smart, really. Smaller wedding party, less family to invite. Just saying. I mean, hey, (laughs) lots of people in the world don't want to have one wife. This guy's got three. Okay, um, the man only identified as Luizo said he couldn't say no when they all popped the question. They, the three triplets, proposed 
to him. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, explaining that he felt he was obliged to because they're triplets. Got to keep it fair, I guess. They had a private ceremony, but Louisa's parents did not attend because they're not big fans of the marriage. Uh, now, this isn't the first time some triplets had an unconventional wedding. This one happened six years ago and was a little bit more normal. Many triplets would want to have a different wedding day than their sisters, but not these women. Identical triplets from Brazil all got married to their respective husbands together in a joint wedding ceremony in a Catholic cathedral. The 29-year-old brides each wore different dresses and initially planned to have their hair and makeup done differently. But that didn't end up happening because they all liked the same look. For the processional, they had a staggering 18 bridesmaids walk down the aisle who each wore different colored dresses to match with the bride's bouquets. Reportedly, the pews had to be spaced out to fit the three brides and the altar had to be specially made for the entire party. The grooms told Brazilian news station Globo that they have mixed up their ladies in the past, but not on the big day because of the help of their bouquet colors. <laughs> that would have been awkward. <laughs> that's weird. Hey, baby. Uh, that's um, from in, that's from Inside Edition. Um, <laughs> I that seems like an awful lot of work. Yeah, uh, that seems like an awful lot of work. Now, we did get a text that comes in. Uh, it's very good. It's from Dwayne. Dwayne says, marriage is a sacred institution. I intend to keep on trying until I get it right. Very nice. Hmm. I like that. Um, yeah, I'd like to get married one day. I don't have my uh, shoes planned <laughs> like Ryan does. You should. You work <laughs> your way up from there. It's like the yeah. bare minimum is that, yeah. and then, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know, right? <laughs> it's reminded me that when Ryan gets involved in my wedding, it's not going to include that. <laughs> or I'll the stag the, party. I'll pick the entire. The I'll pick it all, man. I got your I back. Bet. I, I, I bet. This is the Shift Podcast. We have been introduced to so many people here on the Shift. Um, one of those gentlemen is named Mikhailo Zernikov, and he joins us now. Uh, here on the program from Ukraine. Mikhailo, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Glad to hear that you're okay. Um, and thank you for taking the time to be with us here on the program. Uh, we probably should start, Thanks Mikhailo. Uh, yeah, you're, it's my pleasure. Trust me. Um, that Help us understand the situation that you're in. For those who don't know you, uh, because of your situation, you don't share where you are, but can you help us understand uh, what it is that you see sort of out your window, if you will, without giving that away. Yeah, for many, it is a, just a security uh, issue because uh, you probably know that uh, Russia has uh, lists of people that they want to kill, they want to target particularly uh, among them civil activists, political activists, you know, human rights defenders, all those who make Ukraine uh, democratic and, and help make Ukraine democratic. So it's another sign of Russia not just, you know, doing whatever whatever the claim they're doing. They just want us to basically to cease to exist. And their biggest nightmare is Ukraine being democratic and successful. And that's pretty much what it's all about. So th that is why for many of us, you know, disclosing our location is not is not an option. However, uh, right now I, I, I can say I'm in one of the safer uh, zones relatively, of course, because 
you know, uh, nobody can be safe right now in Ukraine. I guess uh, Russia is firing missiles that have, you know, thousands of kilometers of range. They're shelling hospitals. They're um, bombing uh, nursery homes. You probably heard of uh, just yesterday um, they they bombed uh, nursery, ho- nursery home in Mariupol. Um, you know, young mothers uh, injured, probably dead, still under um, uh, houses and structures that are crumbled. Um, horrible things. So uh, th- this is something that we all see every day. And unfortunately, we have to say, despite all the, you know, we, we, we see that uh, the, the, the world, the collective West, is helping us. They, they impose sanctions. Um, they help us with some arms. But this, this by far, unfortunately, is not enough to successfully deter uh, Russia and to um, end this nightmare. Because, you know, Russia is not winning on land. We Ukrainian army is winning where they didn't achieve any major goal that they wanted to achieve. But unfortunately, now they're, they're pretty much employed the terrorist approach to things that they're just shelling and killing innocent people and trying to achieve whatever they want to achieve with 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 this and this is just horrible and this absolutely needs to stop i um i want to ask questions in a moment um here mikhailo about about some of this judicial reform and and i've, I've got a something see you're amazing and you've you every time we have a conversation it leaves me with things to think about and over the course of the days in between our, our discussions i think about those things and and you're quite inspiring first though before we get to that um let's talk about mariupol that community right now about four hundred thousand people i understand uh, used to live there um it's getting absolutely decimated what are you seeing specifically in mariupol why is it so i don't know important i don't want to use that word as important but why does it seem to matter so much for the russians in mariupol Right. If you look at the map of, of of the invasion, it is well. First of all, thank you very much for the kind words. Uh, it, this means a lot. And and I, and again, I have to I have to repeat the, the, your support. The support of the whole world means a lot. I'm just when I'm criticizing, I'm not criticizing the support. I'm just saying there should be more of it in terms of real, you know, weapons, um, fighter jets, anti-missile, anti. Um, aircraft systems because this is where yeah. where we are the most vulnerable because this is where you know the most damage to the civilians is coming from. This is I have to yeah, make it absolutely I, clear. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, and we, I think we, that we is support. clear. Just so you know that we uh, that yeah. I think the world and everyone listening knows that you know that we are doing just because there's things missing doesn't diminish all the good things that are being done. Absolutely, and not. Uh, absolutely more not. needs to be done, right? And so that's clear. I, I I don't hear it negatively at all. I hear it actually quite positively. What you're saying. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you so very much, Shane. So yes, Mariupol. Uh, it is very important, yeah, for the lack of a better word, um, to um, the Russians because this is the only thing that is left so far um, for for the land corridor, uh, so to say, uh, to to be made uh, from Russia through the occupied uh, regions of Donbas to Crimea. For them, it is, it is strategically very important to have these, say, exchange and to move uh, weapons and, and goods and whatever um, through this corridor. So basically, it stands on the, on the shore of, of the Sea of Azov, and it is the only it is it is the stronghold basically now that is left that is uh, not, not making them create this corridor. It's, it's the only 
point that's left. That is why they're basically surrounded. They're shelling it for nine days. Now it's 10th day um, uh, for, for, um, of the siege, basically, of the city. There's, you know, the humanitarian situation is, is, is very, um, you know, is, is very bad. And uh, luckily, yesterday, uh, we managed to get some people out, but there's still, there's still thousands and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that are suffering and unfortunately dying every day because of the shellings and uh, because of the actually terrorist. Uh, absolutely, you know, it's, it's not an um, exaggeration. It's, it's, it's the terrorist action of a Russian state. Yeah, it's become very clear that, um, you know, um, it's it's become the well the wild the wild east, if you will, for us, of of what's going on. Uh, that there is mm-hmm. no there there is no uh, you know international uh, war crimes. All those things I mean are becoming you know tossed out the window. Uh, to use an example of that, and Mariupol is is right there on Azov, and 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 when you. When you go west from there, you start to get to Mikhailov. Um, uh, Mikhailov? Did I say that right? No, Mikhailov? Okay, Mikhailov. Uh, thank you. I'm yeah. learning. This is I've learned so much about trying to pronounce these properly. I figure that one of the best ways we can respect uh, your country is to actually learn our our best to pronounce them properly. Mikhailov. Um, now, that, that also starts to get really close to Odessa and seems to be uh, part of this strip along... Um, uh, the uh, the Azol and and then into what is the 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 coast of the Black Sea? What are you hearing around Kherson and and uh, Mikhailov and and um, and getting closer and closer to Odessa? Yeah, right. Uh, sorry if I got it was breaking a little bit. So if if I got the the, the question uh, correctly. Um, can can you please repeat if, if there is if there is one? So sorry. sure, thank you. No problem. Um, we're seeing that there is that you know north of Crimea, that whole coastal area there, Kherson yeah. and and all of that. Obviously, there's a lot of activity going on that south coast. I guess the north coast of the Black Sea, um, and it's getting yeah. closer and closer to Odessa. What are you hearing about that? Because uh, Mikhail right. is uh, is getting uh, that's really close to to Odessa and such a special city that is. Right, Shane. Uh, it is correct because uh, you know so far Odessa, which is one of the major cities in Ukraine, it's a beautiful city in the, on the seashore. It is actually uh, in uh, it's very loved by Russians, or was loved, uh, uh, I must say, because uh, you know because of reasons. It is, it is beautiful. They used to come there. Um, it, it used to be famous, you know, all over neighboring um, countries and. Uh, and uh, it's a nice resort with you know with, with beautiful architecture and all that. And now they're they're they started to attack uh, Odessa. They uh, with you know with ships from the sea. With uh, basically they're getting closer with the land um, armies. And uh, yeah, p- people in Odessa are. And it, this is this is particularly. Um, um, Wild, for, again, for lack of a better word, um, because these are these are predominantly Russian-speaking cities. You know, Odessa, Mariupol, um, you know, cities in the east and, and south of Ukraine, and they don't want to be. Despite what what the, the Russia says, they don't want to be Russian. They don't want. They, they they despise now. They they are actively against it. They occupied cities, Kherson. Uh, you know, others in the in the south that are also Russian-speaking, they all come out in thousands against, you know, uh, protesting against the armed um, Russian occupants, and then they show it very 
strongly that they don't want them there. But despite all that, claiming to protect the Russian-speaking population of supposedly um, fascist whatever regime of or or whatever the, the, the stupid claim that they're making, they protecting quote unquote it by shelling the maternity hospitals. This this is you know the absurdity and 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 just uh, uh, and and, and the, the absolutely. The, the, the absolute uh, um, stupidity of the situation. Your background as a former judge and advocate for ju- judicial reform. I'm curious to, this is the part where you had me thinking. Uh, I'm curious to see from the inside of Ukraine, when you see, I mean, that means you, I'm assuming, that means you've worked with trying to diplomatically find a way to identify old mentality items uh, maybe some of that old leftover mm-hmm. um, Soviet Union mentality versus the democratic goals of what Ukraine had become and was striving to be. I would imagine that was a bit of the the tug of war that you would go through because you don't need judicial reform unless there are things that need to be fixed, right? I mean, we see that in all countries around the world. So with your expertise, yeah. um, should we have seen this coming a long time ago? Um, from inside the the political conversations and the judicial conversations that you've seen mm-hmm. in your all in your career, uh, you mean the war? The war, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, uh, yes. The short answer is yes. The longer answer is uh, we've seen Russia weaponize corruption in the judiciary in Ukraine. We've seen them, you know, we've seen some particular courts in Ukraine that um, actually are anti-Ukrainian and pro-Russian in essence, that they uh, come up with uh, uh, absolutely bizarre and uh, unlawful decisions that are in favor, uh, you know, that are strikingly, you know, in favor of Russia and and anti-Ukrainian, I mean, and, and anti-Ukrainian, such as, you know, the the, the um, uh, cancellation of the reforms in the, in the armed forces or the, uh, um, uh, you know, the cancellation of, of the, uh, decommunization uh, efforts and you know remain renaming the streets back and giving them back the names of the you know uh, um, uh, Soviet occupants and and you know ma- many 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 others you know and want to, uh, to to make it very long but uh, yes uh, you, you could see how from the inside you know Russia also works to um, undermine uh, Ukraine's democratic institutions to um, backslide the reforms to um, make the rule of law and human rights situation worse uh, and not better. And you could see how, um, you know, how Russia, how, how Russia is all about, especially now, going back in time to the almost to the Middle Ages, or at least to the you know 18th, 19th century, where you know the, the, all these new neo feudal um, relations are capped and and cherished. Uh, and, uh, you know, how the power is concentrated in one hand, how the people do not have, um, uh, you know, their, their voice heard, how there is no democracy pretty much. So basically all the things that are in Russia now, so they want that to, to repeat and continue in Ukraine. And, you know, the revolution of dignity of years 13, 14, other democratic processes that happened in Ukraine, you know, the reforms that, that uh, followed after, they all were about democratization, they were all were about uh, human rights and uh, uh, making Ukraine democratic and uh, and the country of rule of law and that that's again that, that's something that that's, that Russia is very much scared about because if Ukraine can achieve that and we were achieving that and we will achieve that that would mean 
eventually democratization of Russia and the end of, of, of Russia as we know it today. And that is basically what is happening now, but unfortunately we now have to, and will happen next, but unfortunately we now have to suffer through this uh, war that is unfortunately again claiming hundreds of thousands of lives daily. Now, in a spirit of trying to find some positivity to look forward to here, uh, Mikhailo, um, when you say that about, you know, here we are now and the what comes next, I would, if, if we're so lucky that this ends tomorrow or ends today, when you look at your, the, what is Ukraine and what it has become leading up to this, mm-hmm. here's what I'm hoping for. And I was hoping that we could together create a bit of a vision of positivity, if that's even possible in this, because, um, I think one thing that, we all take away from these conversations with with you and your countrymen is that it's you have this unbelievable ability to be positive and strong and confident and so i thought we could try this when this ends and when ukraine wins this that this will flush out all of the old soviet mentality people because in theory they would be very exposed through this and the tolerance of the Ukrainian people politically and diplomatically is going to be smaller than ever for anybody who wants to go back to that old way. Um, once this Absolutely. is done, once this is done, this could be, this could accelerate Ukraine further forward than anybody could have ever imagined. Thank you, Shane. I, uh, absolutely. I, I, you know, uh, there's hardly ever. Um, you know, a host of a show some, somewhere who understands these things. I'm, this is the first time I'm hearing from, you know, somebody who's not Ukrainian. So thank you very much for um, saying this. And, I, and it's, it's 100% reflects what we here are thinking and actually knowing what will happen. And I thank you for, for when, because we, you know, we have no doubt that we will win this. Uh, also, just by looking at the military situation, you know, they, they already have 100% their forces inside Ukraine that were concentrated on the border, and they, they haven't achieved a single objective. The Ukrainian army and Ukrainian people show they're, you know, they're much stronger. They, they can win. That you know, Putin's army is not uh, something that you know, second army in the city. Come on, uh, sorry, sorry, in the world. Come on, it's it's uh, uh, it's not like this. You know, everybody saw now that uh and understands now that uh, you know russia is not as strong as it claims to be ukraine is and you know now ukraine is you know probably the most popular country in the world because of what's happening and it eventually rather sooner than later uh we will be, win this and we will with that uh get a um tremendous boost in um you know in reforms in transformation in um in, in all things that are necessary to build a democratic uh, and successful state. And, you know, we've, we've just days ago, uh, Boris Johnson announced that the West has, uh, you know, agreed on a, on a sort of a Marshall Plan for uh, Ukraine. With that, inevitably, uh, not only the money comes to rebuild the, um, um, you know, the, the cities, the, the infrastructure, also the economy, but, of course, with that comes come all the other things, because I, I hardly ever, well, first of all, yes, it is about the mentality of the people, and it is about, you know, there's hardly ever a, a single person left in Ukraine who is sympathetic to Russia and its ways, um, or to autocracy in general, uh, then there, there, there's people who finally, you know, understood what it's all about, 
even those who haven't before, uh, what we need to do to escape from this and so on. Absolutely. But also with, you know, with the, uh, with, with sort of, with, with this sort of plan, because it's probably going to be, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars because, because of, of, you know, of the scale of devastation and because of the uh, scale of, of uh, necessary ways to, you know, and means to rebuild the country. With that, with that the, the democratic institutions and, and, the, and then the transformation and, you know, the, the establishment of the democratic institutions to, to control this, this money flow, to make it effective, to uh, make, you know, to, to rebuild the cities in a, in a sustainable way, um, and all things good will come. I mean, what, what I'm trying to say, all the reforms that we've been aspiring for and were not going always smoothly because it is, you know, so, societal transformation is hard. They will come um, much faster because of the because of two things because of the uh, you know the, the, the moods of the people and and uh, the the increased whatever it is of of the society and because of the push say from the West and because of the participation of the West financial and uh, political to um, get this you know to, to spend this money right and to uh, get the, uh, the the institutions in place that will. Uh, guarantee that and guarantee the, the further uh, sustainable development of Ukraine. Are you familiar with the uh, English word tenacious? Yes, I am. I'm not sure all the, you know, I, I'm, uh, uh, yes, I, I, I am. Uh, tenacious, um, they could put in the dictionary just the Ukrainian flag. Now, <laughs> I think that would be a, right, that would yes, be a, think, that would be a beautiful that's thing. A good, um, <laughs> that's a good one, yeah, thank you. Uh, tending to keep a firm hold of something, clinging and adhering closely, never giving up, determined, um, not readily relinquishing a position, principle, a course of action, determined, persisting in existence, not equally, de- uh, not easily dispelled. And um, that to me, you share with oh, us, Mikhailo, every day. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Shane. Again, I, I, I can't repeat that enough your your support means a lot and uh, please continue doing that please increase that and that's that's a claim to you know and and, and the and our um ask for um uh, to, to to the whole uh, democratic world uh because it is essentially not only about ukraine and ukrainian lives it's about uh, the world order it's about democracy it's about values uh that ukraine is absolutely showing uh it's that, that you know are worth dying for and uh, it's the it's the obligation i must say of of the world to protect these values and to support those who are ready to die for them and, and again you. thank you for your thank you for your support we're feeling it and please continue doing it yes we will do that Mikhailo. thank you very much for being here uh, take care of yourself please thank stay safe you. and i look forward to connecting again soon thank you shane thanks for doing this This is the Shift Podcast. Spacedoutradio.com is his website. They've got a YouTube channel. They do the, the podcasty things, the streamy things, and all of the weird, man. It's the world of the weird, which is funny because it's not really the world of the weird, Dave Scott. It's actually the world of the politics right now. Too bad Shane Hewitt with the shift going right across oh, God, Canada on the radio this guy, network. This guy's got a sales pitch and sell his he stuff. He always likes to have us on. This guy. Mr. Shane, how are oh, you? Oh, my God. You're late. That's, I'm, that's how I am. I am not late. <laughs> my time says I'm right on time. 
32 seconds late, Dave. That's all right. Um, how are you doing? I was saying that it's not about the world of the weird so much as it is the world of the politics these days, which could be taken as weird. How are you doing? Are you good, buddy? I am happy. You know why I'm happy, Shane? It's that, because buddy? for the last year that you and I have been doing this, I've kind of felt like, don't you worry, never fear, Robin Hood will soon be here. And oh. finally, that That's day cool. arrived. Last did, week, eh? my friend. Yeah. I got a phone call from Dave Scott in the middle of making dinner out of the blue. Very excited. Shane, you won't believe what just happened. <laughs> Thank you for including me with that. Your passion was contagious. I can tell you that much. We uh, did not do the show last night and uh, for some personal reasons, but we wanted to make sure we got to this tonight, even though it's not our normal time slot to have Dave Scott on. Thank you for adjusting for us so we could share this exciting news from your world. Where do we begin? Well, we begin in Ottawa, where, you know, Shane, for the last year that you and I have been talking on the shift here, where we have literally talked about when is the Canadian government going to get involved with UFO talk? And I had told you and your listeners, as well as my listeners, that we were literally talking to people in Ottawa who who were waiting for the right moment to try and get into the UFO game to ask some questions. Well, that finally happened last week. It happened just after dinner time, our time on the West Coast, when during a standing committee on national resources, Manitoba MP Larry McGuire stood up and asked a gentleman named John Hannaford about UAP sightings over Canadian nuclear energy facilities. And with this, John Hannaford really didn't know how to reply. And Mr. McGuire hopped in and st basically stated, hey, I have reports of three UAP, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, that have been seen and recorded over Canadian nuclear facilities. Has anybody from the Natural Resources Office checked in with the Americans who run their program to see what they are doing about unidentified area phenomena to figure out if it's drones or something else. Now, it may only be a standing committee. It may not be in the House of Commons, but this is the first time in recent history where we've literally had a standing MP talk about UFOs in Canada publicly. Now, First of all, let's acknowledge the amazing part that this guy's name is Larry McGuire. Let's just put that, that white elephant on the side because that's amazing. Second of all, you know what's really cool about this, Dave, that I find fascinating is that when you go through this journey of trying to get acknowledgement for the research that's going on, 10 years ago, 20 years ago for sure, technology was not at a place where we had drones at least not even a retail-level commercial, like a retail access, consumer-based drone. And in today's world, of course, we've seen them be used for so many you know, bad things like flying them around airports and all that stuff. Now, when you don't have drones, the only thing you can go and say, hey, that might be a UFO or uh, a foreign fighter plane or whatever, you've got to go to the military. Well, in today's world... You can say, hey, naively, hey, 
is is that a drone? What is that unidentified aerial phenomena that's flying around there? And he can go into a public forum like this and not have to go through the traditional channels because he could just innocently ask the question saying, hey, who's flying agriculture drones by nuclear power plant or whatever, right? So he gets to play a little bit naive and simple words. I don't believe he is stupid, but he gets to play stupid. And that works in everyone's benefit where they can start to talk about these conversations. Well, the interesting part about it is Larry McGuire actually took this a, a step further. All right. Now, remember when I told you a little while ago, and, and trust me, I, I'm taking full advantage of my I told you so moment, if you don't mind. I, I really do appreciate that. I don't mind. But, you go ahead. You know, well, because, I mean, and the reason why I'm, I'm kind of, you know, tooting our own horns here, Shane, is because so many times people look at us, at, at us as in those who are in the fringe movement, thinking we're just a bunch of tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists. And here we are talking about Canadian po- politicians now who have a very big interest in this subject. I had also told you in your crowd about how there were private meetings going on in Ottawa, namely... He comes out, Larry McGuire, in a letter stating he has met with Luis Elizondo, who is involved in the Pentagon's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, to talk about high-level, unclassified outlines of the issue. He has also met with members of the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies, which included six members of Canadian uh, professors who are part of this SCU program. He has also met with the gentleman who started the remote viewing program at the Pentagon, a gentleman named Hal Putoff, who has been very well known in the UFO community. I'm also hearing he has met with Chris Mellon, who is the deputy director or secretary of defense under both, I believe it was George Bush Jr. and Barack Obama regarding this topic of UFOs. So the Canadian government, at least on the conservative side, we know is actually getting into the ballgame, trying to figure out what Canada's role is. Now, from what I'm hearing from my sources in Ottawa, they want to know, how does this affect NORAD and our role with NORAD? Are Canadian fighter pilots intercepting these craft? Now, a lot of this is being recorded by Toronto freelance journalist, Daniel Otis, and you can read his articles on Vice, and Daniel and I have been working very hand-in-hand in trying to get this information out. But I think it's very important to know for the Canadian audience that the government now, at least members of the government, are starting to take the UAP story very seriously. Now, his riding, I want to get into the, uh, the nuts and bolts here, the riding of Larry McGuire is Brandon Suris, which is on the west end of Manitoba, a U.S. border, Saskatchewan border, that bottom corner. Is this where, I guess I'm surprised that he's the guy versus maybe an MP from the eastern corner closer to um, Ontario and some of those hotspot reporting zones of stuff flying in the in the air? Well, I think what it has to do with is he has, he's been a politician long enough. He knows the game. 
But I think what's happened is the UFO story very much interested him when he heard it coming out of the United States. And I believe there are other MPs. In fact, I know there are other MPs who are very interested in this entire phenomena as well, Shane. They want to know if this is affecting Canadian airspace. Are our CF-18 Hortons trying to intercept these craft, which we are now learning through reports from Daniel Otis that, yes, CF-18s have been scrambled to try and pick up some sort of UFO in the sky, and that is directed under NORAD. And that's what we need to figure out. That's what we need to know is what kind of role does this have is there safety issues across Canada and, uh, you know, the bordering of the United States south of us and up towards Alaska? I mean, is there a threat narrative? I hate, I hate using that term, but that's the term we have to use regarding whether or not there is a threat narrative with UFOs in Canada now. So the amount of courage for a politician to step up and do this with Larry Maguire and everyone else who's sort of asked these questions publicly, this becomes, you know, this is a, a tightrope, right? Cause you, you got to get reelected yet. You feel like these things matter and you also don't want to look like you have a tinfoil hat on it takes a ton of courage for this person to do this. And I think that this is the cool part, regardless of any of the topics to step away from the, uh, the political rope or the party rope and start to ask questions. I would like to love to see more MPs ask these kinds of questions, but what does it, what does it accomplish and what comes next, Dave Scott? Because the reality for me is I, I fear that it's like an ostrich head in the sand moment of, whoa, was that just out loud? You know, hide kind of, kind of, we, we need to take this underground again. Well, you know what? There's there's a couple of reasons of thinking of this. Number one, we knew Aaron O'Toole was not a fan of this subject, did not want to get into it. And now that the Conservative Party of Canada does not have a formal leader until September, that is a reason why a veteran MP like, like Larry McGuire could come out and stand up and, and ask these questions. Because really, he has nobody to answer to he's one of the elder statesmen of the conservative party as an mp he's been there for over 20 years he may have one election left i believe he's either in his late 60s or early 70s so he's a a pretty much ready to retire maybe after one more election one more term and i mean that seat has been solid for him and i don't ever see him losing it however what this is what we do need from here on in we in the perfect world need this to get into question period on the House of Commons floor. That's what needs to happen, whether it's McGuire or someone else. Now, other MPs, maybe who are younger and still, you know, wanting to to build their prominence in Canadian history, may not want to tackle this subject. For somebody like McGuire, he doesn't care. He's almost at the end of the rope. But he needs other younger people to come in, because if all of a sudden he retires... Who takes the ball of asking these questions? Or does it all of a sudden fall back under the under the rug once again? The other thing that we have to realize, too, is not a single media outlet outside of what we're telling you and a couple of minor ones in Ontario have covered this story. That is wrong. It's a story. But with COVID 
and what's happening on the federal level and provincial levels, as well as what's happening in Ukraine right now. Of course, this is a story that is never going to see the light of day, and it's never going to see the, the, the hallways uh, leading into the House of Commons because there's no time for it. There's two, big of, uh, two other big stories out there that are much more pressing than wondering whether or not Canada has aliens flying around its nuclear energy facilities. It is kind of sound strange when you say it that way. I mean, because nuclear facilities, you would think would have, um, you know, cameras and I don't know, little security belt. Like I don't know, like I guess the high tech things to watch for. Well, I mean, Shane, you hope so. I want to yeah. know if there's video of these. If there's reports, I want to see the videos. Give yeah. us the grainy, horrible videos, like a, like a bank robbery, you know where they're using 1948 cameras instead of the cameras that we could, you know, hell, we could get a, a clear picture from a Mars rover back to Earth, but we can't tell the face of a criminal or a UFO above a, a, yeah. a Canadian uh, nuclear uh, energy facility. Yeah, I mean, that's kinda... Give me that grainy video, man. I want to see it. Yeah, Chris Rock used to talk about that. You're telling me we can go to the moon, but we can't get a bumper to stay on a Cadillac? Like, <laughs> it's, something's in the way, you know? Exactly. Something's in the way. This is exciting, Dave. Um, I want to take a second before we're done here and just sort of acknowledge the fact that, A, your passion and um, your hard work in this, because I know how much this matters to you. And and this is really cool. I, I hope that for the sake of all the work that you and your colleagues do, that you like to, um, you know, get behind some support and info for just finding out more. And, um, and I just really acknowledge the work you do with that and, and the people that are around yeah. you on it. And, and thank you for sharing that for me when you were um, very excited about it and called. And I, I do appreciate that. Shane, I'm going to put a challenge out to you. I would love for you to reach out to MP Larry McGuire and bring him on your show right across Canada to talk about this. Cause I sure. think it needs press and you're a guy who with your journalism skills that you could really help to bring this subject out across Canada because it isn't about the woo anymore. It's literally about it's happening, and we need to know more, and we need our press, like yourself, to take this story seriously. So I hope you take me up on my challenge. Uh, we will. Uh, Ryan's already typing. He's working on it. Uh, Dave Scott, thank you very much, brother. Great to hear your voice. Always a pleasure, Shane. Thank you very much. That Spaced is- out. Spaced Out Radio and Dave Scott right there. I mean, spacedoutradio.com. If you want to learn more, we will ask. We will ask the question. Uh, just to be clear, I am far from a journalist. I am not a journalist in any way. I am far from a journalist, but I am happy to have a conversation with a guy and find out what he thinks about all of this. So we might as well ask the question. And I guess we'll update if we get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Well, if we get a thumbs up, you'll hear it. If we get a th- if you don't hear it, we probably got a thumbs down. So we will find out. Dave Scott, his passion is contagious. That's for sure. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.